Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Good Risings. I'm Jackie. And I'm Brian. And this is Grateful Grains. Welcome back. You may recall we're having a little bit of fun as we spend the next three weeks taking a look at some darker topics. We're getting it started this week with awful history. Monday, it was Tuskegee. Tuesday, we explored the Panama Canal. Yesterday, it was the Spanish Inquisition. Today, it's bananas. As Associate Professor of History at Carnegie Mellon, Dr. John Solari's research and teaching explore the relationship between social and environmental change in Latin America. In his collaboration with TED-Ed, he shares the dark history of bananas. He begins, on a December night in 1910, the exiled former leader of Honduras, Manuel Bonilla, boarded a borrowed yacht in New Orleans. With a group of heavily armed accomplices, he set sail for Honduras, in hopes of reclaiming power by whatever means necessary. Bonilla had a powerful backer, the future leader of a notorious organization known throughout Latin America as El Polpo, or the octopus for its long reach. The infamous El Polpo was a U.S. corporation trafficking in, of all things, bananas. It was officially known as United Fruit Company, or Chiquita Brands International today. Dr. Saluri shares that bananas were cultivated in Southeast Asia thousands of years ago, but didn't reach the Americas until the early 1500s, where enslaved Africans cultivated them in plots alongside sugar plantations. There were many different bananas, most of which looked nothing like the bananas in supermarket aisles today. In the 1800s, captains from New Orleans and New England ventured to the Caribbean in search of coconuts and other goods. They began to experiment with bananas, purchasing one kind called Grosse Michel from Afro-Caribbean farmers in Jamaica, Cuba, and Honduras. Grosse Michel bananas produce large bunches of relatively thick-skinned fruit, ideal for shipping. By the end of the 1800s, bananas were a hit in the U.S. They were affordable, available year-round, and endorsed by medical doctors. Dr. Saluri continues by saying, as bananas became big business, U.S. fruit companies wanted to grow their own bananas. In order to secure access to land, banana moguls lobbied and bribed government officials in Central America and even funded coups to ensure they had allies in power. In Honduras, Manuel Bonilla repaid the banana man who had financed his return to power with land concessions. By the 1930s, one company dominated the region, United Fruit, who owned over 40% of Guatemala's arable land at one point. They cleared the rainforest in Costa Rica, Colombia, Guatemala, Honduras, and Panama to build plantations, along with railroads, ports, and towns to house workers. Lured by relatively high-paying jobs, people migrated to banana zones. From Guatemala to Colombia, United Fruits Plantation grew exclusively Gros Michel bananas. 
Dr. Saluri explains these densely packed farms had little biological diversity, making them ripe for disease epidemics. The infrastructure connecting these vulnerable farms could quickly spread disease. Pathogens could hitch a ride from one farm to another on workers' boots, railroad cars, and steamships. That's exactly what happened in the 1910s when a fungus began to level Gros Michel banana plantations, first in Panama and later throughout Central America, spreading quickly via the same system that had enabled big profits and cheap bananas. Dr. Solori continues saying, in a race against Panama disease, banana companies abandoned infected plantations in Costa Rica, Honduras, and Guatemala, leaving thousands of farmers and workers jobless. The companies then felled extensive tracts of rainforest in order to establish new plantations. After World War II, the dictatorships with which United Fruit had partnered in Guatemala and Honduras yielded to democratically elected governments that called for land reform. In Guatemala, President Jacobo Arbenz tried to buy back land from United Fruit and redistribute it to the landless farmers. The Arbenz government offered to pay a price based on tax records where United Fruit had underreported the value of the land. El Polpo was not happy. The company launched propaganda campaigns against Arbenz and called on its deep connections in the U.S. government for help. Citing fears of communism, the CIA orchestrated the overthrow of the democratically elected Arbenz in 1954. That same year in Honduras, Thousands of United Fruit Workers went on strike until the company agreed to recognize a new labor union. With the political and economic costs of running from Panama disease escalating, United Fruit finally switched from Gros Michel to Panama disease-resistant Cavendish bananas in the early 1960s. Dr. Solori finishes by saying that today, bananas are no longer as economically vital in Central America, and United Fruit Company, rechristened as Chiquita, has lost its stranglehold on Latin American politics. But the modern banana industry isn't without problems. Cavendish bananas require frequent applications of pesticides that create hazards for farm workers and ecosystems. And though they're resistant to the particular pathogen that affected Gros Michel bananas, Cavendish farms also lack biological diversity, leaving the banana trade ripe for another pandemic. Thanks so much for joining us on Grateful Grains. You can find us on Instagram at Good Risings, or you can find me at B McMuffin. And you can find me at Jacqueline M. Wood underscore one. We'll be back again tomorrow for the final day of our week on awful history. Until then, remember, a better tomorrow starts with today. Good Risings is presented by Cavalry Audio.